in the morning. When you want the news, you need the front page every hour on the press box. Nothing's writing on this except the uh, First Amendment, the Constitution, freedom of the press, and maybe the future of the country. Not that any of that matters. And now, the news. The front page, Adam Candy, you are in charge of what is happening next. Lead the way. All right. Front page here from Press Box. Adam Candy, Doug Douglas. Uh, we've got uh, we've got from the top here, Doug, a story of a plucky underdog who came from the University of Connecticut. He he managed to blow a hundred million dollars. Uh, at the University of Connecticut and overcame that to become president of the NCAA. Uh, Mark Emmert looks about as bad as any one person can look with this new report that came out on gender equity in the wake of the very public problems that the NCAA had with the differences between the men's tournament bubble and the women's tournament bubble uh, being played in Indiana and in San Antonio this year uh espn pays the ncaa 34 million dollars for women's hoops and 28 other championships the report that came out yesterday the ncaa gender equity review says women's basketball alone could be worth a hundred million dollars a hundred million dollars just on its own doug we're undervaluing the women's basketball tournament i think we've probably known that empirically for a while but now we have some numbers to put to it as well it is we'll say this is not the feel-good underdog story of the year but it is amazing the ineptness at that level when it's something that directly would enhance the money coming in to your organization and thus you would look better to everybody and still it is totally mismanaged. That is just appalling. No, it's it's pretty stunning uh, overall, even in the sphere of the NCAA where we're so... I don't know. It's hard to stun us. It really is hard to stun us. Uh, right. The report says that the NCAA is undervalued uh, because women's basketball broadcast rights could be worth between 81 and $112 million in 2025. Obviously, that's a huge multiple on what ESPN is paying at the moment. And if you haven't looked much into this, um, I would suggest checking out some of the work from uh, my friend Debbie Antonelli, who you might have seen doing play-by-play uh, play and or color for a women's basketball broadcast for years. And she's worked with Jim Livengood, the former UNLV AD, uh, DJ Allen, to try to make the Sweet 16 dedicated to Las Vegas every year. They've talked about being able to separate the NCAA women's tournament out from what's known as the Champions Program and basically be able to sell the ad inventory separately from everything else. So... I'm probably being a little bit ham-handed and, uh, you know, you can correct me if I'm wrong out there, but essentially what they want to do is they want to maximize what the women's tournament can be about. They want it to be dedicated to Las Vegas every single year for the Sweet 16 of the women's tournament. And then, you know, part of this report suggested that you could combine the Final Fours with the men's tournament and the women's tournament to maximize your potential for those two. So, there are ways out there that this can be done. It just seems like the willingness hasn't been there uh, when it comes to women's basketball. And that's why, Adam, you can never be the head of the NCAA because that logically makes sense and logically would not only bring more money in, but would also enhance 
you would think the experience for the athletes. So I'm sorry you have been rejected from that job. Damn it. Next question. Brianna Stewart and Team USA routed Australia to advance to the semifinals of the Olympic Women's Basketball Tournament. Uh, last month in Las Vegas, the Aussies upset the Americans in an exhibition game. USA wins this one uh, 79-55. Doug, it's good to see that the greatest female athletes that we have in this country can't be kept back by the NCAA. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> And I will say this, also Stephen R. Sharp yesterday said this was his play of the day. So, you know, kudos to him. We'll hear from him later on today. But you know what? It is uh, it is good to see that they, uh, you know, from what I understand, the conditions over there, not optimal for anybody, you know, and for some legitimate reasons. But it is good to see that the uh, Americans have done well, including asia wilson and hopefully they will bring back the gold i don't care about her next question all right well you you don't care but i do um here's here's an interesting baseball trade and here's a guy quite honestly i didn't know was still in the league uh yeah. the blue jays trade john axford reliever to the brewers back to the brewers in exchange for one dollar one american dollar the 2011 National League Reliever of the Year has been pitching in Buffalo at AAA, uh, 0.84 ERA in 10 and two-thirds innings of work. And I bring this up for one reason, um, because John Axford once cost me <laughs> roughly $800, and it wasn't on a bet. Uh, I will spare you the details of, this, of a fantasy baseball league oh my that God. came down to literally the last game of the last day of the season in which I would have at least tied for first place in this league, if not won it outright, until the Brewers brought in John Axford in a game they had trailed 7-0 in the eighth inning. They brought in John Axford. All the Padres had to do was make contact. Make contact against John Axford. He could strike out one guy, I'd be fine. If he strikes out two, I lose the money. The first guy wraps a ball on the ground to second base. We're fine. And I'm listening to this on the radio on the 215. It is a miracle I don't crash into someone as I listen to John Axford <laughs> strike out the next two batters and knock me into second place in this league. So, John Axford, that $1, I demand you give it to me. I love it. That That's great. So he was traded for $799 less than what his excellent performance cost you. You know what? Exactly. I think you owe him a dollar. <laughs> Happy to move on to the, to the next question here, Aaron. Dodgers fans last night had their first opportunity since finding out about everything the Houston Astros did to cheat baseball and air quotes, win a championship. Uh, with the Astros playing in L.A., uh, all the reports from down there that we've seen said it was a World Series-level atmosphere. Now, the Astros ultimately won the game, yeah. uh, but Dodgers fans kind of won the night. Uh, tossed a trash can on the field. They had an inflatable trash can. They were bouncing around. Um, Jared, I don't know if you've gotten any report directly from Tyler. I just hope he's still with us, that the Dodgers fans uh, didn't take all 120 pounds of him and toss it on the field themselves. But uh, if you have to feel like this was the ultimate Tyler outcome where the Dodgers got to try to troll the Astros and the Astros ultimately won. 
that is uh, that's an excellent tease for our 9:45 segment where we just we will put together odds of Tyler's survival. Well, and another excellent tease is tonight's game will be on ESPN <laughs> Radio here, following <laughs> Cofield and Company at six o'clock pregame start. So look at that; it practically writes himself. But I will say this: I'm glad because I don't think the Houston Astros. You know, with last year, of course, for obvious reasons, not the fans and attendance and things like that, that the memories didn't fade away. And even though they lost, Dodger fans won and they have another shot tonight. And you know what? They deserve the Astros, those players. And I know Dusty Baker is now, you know, a former Dodger, uh, now uh, the manager of the Astros. But I'm glad that Dodger fans did not let that organization off the hook as they should not. Man, you know, that's a great question. Bryce Harper homered against the Washington Nationals. Boy, there's a phrase you didn't expect to hear back in 2010. Uh, and then he blew the fans a kiss. Uh, Jared, you actually have a hot take uh, on this one. What do you think? Did you, did you enjoy Bryce Harper blowing a kiss to the Nationals fans? I mean, I'm okay. So I'm of two minds because, yes, obviously, always please have fun. It's baseball. We need more fun. But at the same time, it's like, dude, you left and they, they won. Like you can't, you can't like show up and be like, you can't troll people. For some reason, it reminds me of the scene from bring it on wherever they are making fun of the male cheerleaders and the male cheerleaders goes, dude, you just lost. Like, dude, you weren't part of the championship. Don't troll the fans. You missed out. So kind of a Jim Rome scoreboard. Yeah, yeah like kind of go like, back. Yeah, see that, see that banner over there. Yeah, there's like I, I, I love, I love blowing kisses at fans. I love whatever people like pretend to do someone else's home run trot, like bat flip. Everything's great, but dude, you, you could have been part of the World Series team. You left, and they got better. Um, Jared. I'm going to ask all of the listeners out there if anybody was holding a futures ticket on Jared references, bring it on for Bryce Harper, form an orderly queue at the front door of Lotus Broadcasting to cash your tickets in. Uh, Cause wow, I'm impressed. What? But that was, that was a good move. Great question. Thanks, Thank Bryce. you. There you go. Uh, UNLV football is oh. one of eight teams this year that will be an underdog in all of its games, uh, or 11 of eleven or 12. Eastern Washington, uh, not likely to be an underdog game. Arizona, Bowling Green, Kansas, UMass, Old Dominion. Yes. Um, Old shout Dominion. out Old Dominion. I did not realize ODU played football. Uh, Syracuse. <laughs> that's, a, that's a good sign right off the bat. Louisiana Monroe and UNLV. Uh, Doug, do you have do you have hopes? Do you have dreams? Do you have belief, uh, as Marcus Arroyo does, that UNLV will be better than a team that will be an underdog almost every game this year? I think not this year. No, I don't. <laughs> I think I think, and I know it's kicking the can down the the old timeline a little bit, but I still think this year. I think they've got some. Uh, They've got some issues, but I think with Allegiant Stadium and I think with their new facilities on campus, I recruiting should continue to get better, and there is hope on the horizon. And I know you, as many people out there listening, could 
have heard this for decades and decades, but I think that uh, this year it's still going to be a lumpy year. Lumpy. I like that. I think that's the best description that we can come up with for uh, for being an underdog in just about all of your games, especially all of the games against FBS teams. Uh, my suggestion is that we have like a preseason NIT among these teams. Arizona, Bowling Green, Kansas, UMass, ODU, Syracuse, Louisiana, Monroe, UNLV. I think all of these teams need to play a preseason tournament, sort of a CFP, but not the cool kind, uh, to make sure that they get some wins, right? I think that's what we could do. We could build them up with some victories. By the way, the flip side of this, you could make a hell of a basketball yeah. tournament out of this, right? Yeah. yeah, you're right. Syracuse, wow. Kansas, and Arizona, and, you know, I mean, UNLV might be the fourth best team in there, but still, I think that that, that would be a lot more fun than having to watch them play football. <laughs> put that put that over at T-Mobile, uh, you know, mid-November, and you got yourself uh, quite a draw. I love it. Like, uh, you, even, you even have some, like, good underdogs in there, and, like, like Old Dominion and UL Monroe, those are, like, I mean, they're not huge teams, but they're, like, name teams. I, look, they'll bring some fans out here. So I, trust me, you, you don't, especially Kansas, you don't want to watch Kansas football. Like you, no, nobody wants to watch Kansas and, football. And before we go to the next question, though, I do have one thing because I am one of those mascot people. Before we go to break, does anybody know the name of the mascot for Old Dominion? Not the, not the team name, the mascot's name. The, 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 the I would mascot. say, um, I'd say he's, he's Dom the Three-Legged Bulldog. <laughs> First of all, that's what it should be. No, it's Big Blue. He's a he's he's got a crown on and his he's Big Blue. He looks like a lion, which makes no sense at all. But there we go. All right, there we go. Big Blue is coming to play basketball this year. Coming up next, tales from the press box. Oh, the excitement never ends here on the press box. Doug Douglas and Adam Candy. has been in the game for over two decades from morning show producer to pa announcer it is story time gather around as doug douglas gives a blast from the past oh boy first of all uh nice job with the acdc bonus points if uh adam can name that song oh god you 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 make the mistake of thinking i'm paying attention to rejoins <laughs> Fair enough. Okay. All right. All right. No what worries. No worries. Night Prowler, one of my favorite ACDC songs. Very good song. Off of the Highway to Hell album. Anyway, I'm sure Adam Candy has as many, actually, probably more stories than I do. But, uh, and we still have to do the cheaper thing. That's a thing on Friday because that's the one. But anyway, uh, here we go. Adam, you and I have been in the press box for years and years and years. And I will say this. I'll start this one ever. The first press box I was ever in was in, because I did start in rock radio. So I have not been in press boxes for 20 years. But the first one that I was ever in was 2004, so very close, was down in Houston because the Patriots were taking on the Panthers. And I was with Mitch Moss and John Hansen. And we were invited to all media. He had to sign up. We're invited to watch the the basketball game, the NBA game. And I must admit, I have no idea who, who played. I think I know one of the teams because I believe Houston, the Rockets, were playing. But I don't I think they were playing the Sacramento Kings. I digress because we got there and John Hansen and Mitch Moss, who had been in 
sports radio a lot longer than I had said. Now, Doug, you know, I came from rock radio. You can't cheer. You can't do anything. You know, you're in a press box. Like, oh, okay, well, this is kind of boring, it seems like to me. So anyway, we get there, and they're pouring drinks in the press box, Adam. I mean, they kind of made the press box quite different from a normal press box. People are yelling, cheering, free drinks and everything. I go, oh my God, these press boxes are the greatest things ever. And I'm looking at the at John and Mitch going, come on, you guys don't know what you're talking about. Press boxes are great. So there's my first experience ever in a press box, and I was blown away by how much I liked it. Fast forward many years later, I was kind of the fill-in. I have done it for a year or so, the press box announcer for UNLV football. And I know you've been up there many times to Sam Boyd Stadium during a football game, and my favorite part of the read that I do before any game is, and Jared, you've been there before too, and I don't know if you ever heard me emphasize it, there is absolutely no cheering mm-hmm in the press box, and then I kind of go, or you will be removed from the press box. Well, as you guys both know, they sometimes put fans up there in from the other team in these rooms uh, that are off to the left or the right. So I believe they were playing, man, I want to say it was TCU a few years ago. I forget the exact team. But all of a sudden, huge cheering as fans are walking, having been inebriated somewhat, and I got to go, um, reminder, there is no cheering in the press box. And the football SID, Mark Wallington, who we all know and love, I, I got to see him jump out of his chair and start chasing these people around. That is a highlight because it's just what you're exactly not supposed to do in a press box. And here are these drunken fans from, like I said, I believe it was Texas, were just hooting and hollering. And uh, I was just like, uh, there is no cheering in the press box. A reminder, no cheering in the press box. Oh, man, I love that so much. So you're someone who kind of enjoyed, uh, I'm guessing, being a hall monitor in school? Did, did, <laughs> you, did, did you like cracking down on people? No, I enjoyed doing the announcements back from the oh. principal's office and let other people crack down. All there I do is stir the pot, so to speak. I like it. I, I, I like it. I, I've told this story one once before, and uh, as I advance in age, I have no idea to whom I've told this story on what radio <laughs> program. And so I'm just going to tell the story again. And, um, you know, uh, someone can stop me, Jared, if I have. Um, but my best press box story, or at least the one that's the most memorable to me, is actually on the way up to the press box. I was covering a Sunday night football game uh, in Arizona uh, back in the days when I was covering the Cardinals. And we all had to take this elevator that went way, way, way up to the top of the press box uh, in Tempe. And we're all packed in there. It's tight, and we're, you know, we're just kind of, like, waiting to go. And and the doors start to close. And and then, you know, unfortunately, they open again. We're like, Why? what's the deal here? Well, Joe Theismann needed to get on the elevator. Hey, Joe. Uh, Joe Theismann was with the Sunday Night Broadcast crew at the time. Um, and, by the way, we've had Joe Theismann on uh, – on Cofield and Company a bunch of times, and he's, he's just he's a fantastic guest and uh, was a good dude. But on this particular night, it was pretty clear that Joe Theismann wanted to chat. He just wanted to talk to someone. Um, and he's in the elevator and kind of looking around. It's almost like the, yeah, I know you know who I am. We're like, yeah, we, we know who you are. But, like, I I mean, I, I, as a Giants fan, am sitting there saying to myself, don't talk about the broken leg, don't yeah. talk about the broken leg, don't talk about the broken leg, do not talk about his leg getting snapped in two. Uh, so I'm just kind of you know, trying to, you know, goose froppa myself into calm. And <laughs> the rest of the people are, I think, a little just too intimidated to 
to talk and like and joe in this press bo- press elevator full of like 10 people decides well i guess i probably should break the ice um and and he breaks the ice talking about burritos um <laughs> like what well, it so happens that at halftime in the press box in uh, in Arizona for a Cardinals game, they bring in a uh, shout out to my friends at some boroughs. I don't think I'm getting any free food for saying it because they don't have any stores in Las Vegas, but they really put out these awesome burritos at halftime. And Joe, Joe's been here before. Joe's like, you know what? I can't wait to get one of those burritos at halftime. And we're all kind of standing in the elevator like this is the guy we watched play quarterback for the washington redskins for all these years right like talking about burritos in the elevator and i felt kind of badly because no one answered it just was silence <laughs> just silence with joe joe theisman talking about burritos and i was like oh, i gotta bail joe all right fine i'll bail out joe theisman i still feel badly about him getting his legs snapped by the giants and i was like yeah aren't, aren't they the best and he just he turns around and gives me a smile like so excited that someone has talked to him he's like they're amazing <laughs> joe i never knew you had this affinity for burritos i was a young kid at this time by the way i was like 22 23 years old and i was like i think i'll be telling the story about joe theisman getting really rocked on about burritos for a long time uh joe theisman uh we we saw him years later i i, I told him the story he, he didn't really remember it but he did remember the burritos it stood out more to you than to him shockingly so yes <laughs> shockingly my interaction with joe theisman meant more to me than joe theisman's interaction with me meant to him you should studying development you should have been the guy who brought up the leg no 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 but then he, he definitely remembers that guy you should have said oh i prefer leg of lamb uh, I, I you know what i'm gonna take that burrito and instead of just eating it the normal way i'm snap gonna it. snap it into <laughs> two pieces and just eat them mm, mow down I will say there's nothing more legendary than free food in a press box or a press situation because the press go crazy about it. And there's a certain local uh, press person here who I've seen devour so much food. But I digress for a minute. Going back to 2004 in Houston, they had a soft serve ice cream for the press in yes. the in the uh, Super Bowl media center. And I went every day because, heck, free soft serve ice cream, you can't beat that. So on the fourth day, I'm walking to get my free soft serve ice cream, and these two guys in suits go, no, you can't go there. I go, no, no. See, I go, and I was new. This was the first time I'd ever been to a Super Bowl uh, media center. I go, no, no. See, I go there every day. Well, you can't go there right now. I go, well, no. See, every day I go over there and I get my free soft serve ice cream. And all of a sudden, uh, George Bush walks right right, <laughs> right in front of me, and, and the two guys, and I go, Oh, now I get yeah. it. Oh, okay. Oh. I go, so I will be able to get my soft serve later. And the one guy just goes, yeah, you'll get your soft serve. <laughs> I mean, my God, the spoiled, the spoiled press in their food. How dare you let some local celebrity get in the way of you getting ice cream? That's, that's true. Yeah. Should have done it. Well, coming up, we'll have another celebrity that's not so local. Jason Fitz coming up, the co-host, of course, of Spain and Fitz right after this short commercial break. Aaron Rodgers is unimpressed with him, but we aren't. It's time for our weekly visit with ESPN's Jason Fitz. Doug Douglas here with Adam Candy filling in for Tyler and Ed here on the Press Box. Boy, it's good to hear the behind-the-scenes thing of Jared saying, uh, now, Jason, be careful. You're talking with Doug Douglas. Adam Candy's a professional, but this Doug Douglas guy. Jason, we were just discussing some odd stories 
uh, in the press box. Adam had a Joe Theismann one. I had one about uh, people being chased around because they were cheering in the press box. Do you have any, to start us off, an unusual press box story that you would like to share? Okay, so I don't have an unusual press box story that stands out, but I will give you an unusual professionalism story that, uh, that stands out uh, for, for sports particularly. I had a friend within the Raiders organization years ago, a few years ago, and they were playing in Nashville. They were playing the Titans. And he, and he said, look, he knows my lifelong fandom, and he said, if you want to stay on the field, uh, I need somebody to help with some of the cameras. Like, I need somebody to hold all these cameras and, you know, make sure that my photographers have what they need. And, you know, we're not going to fly somebody. So if you want a field pass, you can stay in the game the whole time. You can just hang out, just hold some cameras. So I'm like, yes, I'll hold cameras. This is perfect. And as I, we're walking out onto the field, he says, now remember, in this situation, you're not a fan. You actually do have to be professional. And, and so you can't sort of jump up and down and scream and all that stuff. And I was like, okay, well, you know, if it means I get to stand on the field the entire time, I'm fine with that, which worked all the way until the very end of the game because that happened to be a game where the Raiders scored a touchdown with under a minute left to beat the Titans, which gives me so much joy because of the amount of obnoxious Titan fans in my life particularly. So here I am standing right behind the end zone as the play happens in front of me, and I threw a... Did we just lose him? What, a, tease. what a dramatic yeah, pause. Like, what did Jason throw? Oh Someone's got to tell me what he threw. Jason, are you there? All right. We'll get back to Jason here <laughs> in a minute. Um, Wait, let's, God, let's, that, play, let's guess what Jason threw. Yeah, that's, that's what we should be doing. I say that Jason threw one of the cameras. I'm going to say only a lens of a camera. Some of those cameras, I think, have detachable lenses. So I'm okay. Here we go. So you're saying the full camera? I'm going to guess that an entire camera went here. Okay. I I, I feel win. like in order to 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 get the real payoff on this story, it's got to be something super expensive. One of those like three four thousand dollar cameras. Oh, I don't think he's strong enough to throw a field camera. So we're going lens. Okay, hey. Jason, you cut off right at what you threw on the field. Adam and I both have what we think you threw on the field. So one of us will be cheering, or we'll both be sad. I, well, I threw. Uh, it was a handheld camera uh, that was a very expensive handheld camera with a really nice <laughs> lens on it. And I threw that thing. It Luckily, the camera was okay. But the best part was the reaction of Titans fans that were in their seats watching this person wearing – because you got to wear, like, that, that dumb NFL vest while you're standing there the whole time. So I looked like every normal photographer. I just happened to be going apoplectic behind the end zone, screaming every obscenity that does not belong that close to friendly ears. Like, it was, it was not my shining moment. I'm not professional enough for, for a press box, y'all. Oh, man. Well, now I owe Adam a dollar, which, just so you know, can get you a reliever like Mr. Axford. So there we oh, go. Oh, God. It certainly can. <laughs> All right. It's a, no, listen, I, I, I've had those moments uh, being down on the field. I mean, it, it's, it is a terrifying thing. I covered the 2001 World Series when it was the Diamondbacks and the, and the Yankees. I'm a born and bred New Yorker, and, and I was just trying to contain myself at various points. It's not an easy thing to do. So I, I sympathize. I, I feel for you. Uh, Jason, the Raiders are are deep into it now with uh, with training camp. I know you've been following everything as closely as we have. Um, John Gruden, high praise for Henry Ruggs the last few days. Uh, Darren Waller sat out the first padded practice. Ruggs and Brian Edwards. Uh, Gruden talked about how much Ruggs has improved, the anticipation versus reacting, so on, so on. Said that uh, in usual Gruden-esque form that Brian Edwards uh, looks like T.O., looks like a number one receiver. What are your expectations for the Raiders wide receivers this year? So, look, I think we can all agree that a lot of this is coach speak. But the one thing that I will say is 
everything that we saw last year, and I mean across the entire league for rookie wide receivers, I think you just you crumple up, you throw away, and you expect this to be a fresh start because these players had absolutely no opportunity to have normal practices, normal development, normal experiences as a pro. And it's something that I, I think, frankly, we take for granted a lot. I talked to some of the kids even this year after they were drafted uh, as I was doing some of my draft work for ESPN. And just the concept of, hey, I've never left the state of Virginia, and now I have to find – you know, an apartment in Minnesota and adjust to being away from my family. And, you know, I'll, I'll never forget a player in the league a few years ago that uh, told me uh, as he was acclimating as a rookie, he said the strangest part was in college they went everywhere together. So all they did was live, eat, breathe, talk, playbook because they went to every meal together, every class together. In the pros, when they left the workout facility, they left the workout facility because you got a bunch of adults that are going home to their families. So, I think if there's a tougher acclimation for rookies than we give credit for, and I think COVID last year and the impact it had on practices was substantial to the development of first-year players. So right now what I'm looking at from Edwards and Ruggs is a realistic expectation that both will be simply more reliable because that's part of what I think you learn going into year two and what you're going to have a better chance of accomplishing after a full offseason, a normal offseason, and not going through a draft process where you're trying to figure out how fast you can run, but instead you're trying to spend that time in a playbook. So I expect a big uptick from both. I don't think by position that Ruggs is ever going to be the guy that some people think he's going to be because in this offense he's going to get fewer catches, fewer looks, but they're going to be more dynamic when they happen. So I just think we need to calibrate our expectations a little bit, but both are going to take a big, uh, big leap forward, I think. If you're on the other end of the phone and you're John Gruden or Mike Mayock and Chris Ballard calls you from Indianapolis and says, I want to talk about Marcus Mariota, what do you say? Go to hell. I mean, <laughs> like, I, don't wow. wanna, I don't want to oversimplify, but it's a 17-game season, guys. And you got to look at risk versus reward in a 17-game season. And you got to think about what the Raiders are realistically going to get for, for Mariota. Like, you're talking about, I've seen some people say, you know, the Raiders want a third-rounder. I have a hard time believing that the Colts are going to be able to give up a ton of draft equity on someone when they already gave up draft equity on Carson Wentz. So I think this is a bit of a mismatch that people are trying to put together. But the other side of it is, if you're the Raiders, so what if you can get a third-round third pick in next year's draft, which from the way we've drafted over the last several years may or may not be a player that's even on the roster coming into opening day. So let's just be real about what a third-round pick is versus what having – a dependable backup is that you know that you can get some usage out of. And Mariota came in last year in his limited time, looked very good. The money's already spent at this point. I don't know why the Raiders would consider doing anything that makes their depth worse across any position right now, but particularly at the quarterback position in a 17-game season. Let me try to counter it just a little bit and say, if Derek Carr goes down for this team and they have to go to Marcus Mariota, it feels to me like this season is already fragile enough. And if Derek Carr goes down, do you think the Raiders have a chance to win with Marcus Mariota at quarterback? Um, I, I think I don't think I don't think Marcus is anywhere near the quarterback that Carr is. But I think that Marcus can still get you through. Like if if we're talking about Carr misses four to six weeks, I think Marcus can go. He can go five hundred in that time, which could be enough to keep them in the hunt. Uh, if if Carr's out for a substantial amount of time, no, I don't think so. I mean. Marcus, there's, there's ups and downs, and I covered him a lot when I worked in Nashville at the time. You know, Marcus is somebody that uh, doesn't make a lot of mistakes in the red zone. Uh, obviously, his athleticism is, is a big part of who he is, but he's also struggled to stay healthy. 
Uh, he's also the sort of guy that doesn't necessarily, I wouldn't say that accuracy, even though his stats don't always bear it out, I wouldn't say accuracy is necessarily his biggest strength. So, you know, there are some issues for Marcus as a passer, but I still think he can keep you alive, especially in a run-heavy offense that I think they're going to be this year. So, uh, But the other, I guess I would counter that and say, if you send Marcus Mariota to the Colts for a third, let's say it's a third-round pick, the Colts are a Super Bowl-caliber team. So you're talking about end of the third round. So is it worth getting a player at the end of the third round in next year's draft, even if it costs you one game this year? I would say no. Well, I would say no if it's only a pick for next year. I was looking if they could get some depth on the defense, perhaps changing my mind. But I will say this. Mariota, let's say he does stay, which all signs point to that he will. Will he be, do you think, more incorporated in red zone packages with a healthy car so that they could, A, both be on the field, but trying to get more touchdowns this year in the red zone rather than settling for field goals? He should be. And, and I think there's, there's three elements that, that make it easy for this to be accomplished. Number one, uh, John Gruden is a creative offensive mind. So, you know, that, that is absolutely a, a fact. We know that. Number two, as I just mentioned, Marcus is really good. He's, he's a good passer in the red zone, and he's also super athletic. I mean, he doesn't – at one point in his career, he had the longest stretch ever for a rookie in the NFL without a turnover in the red zone. So you're talking about somebody that gets it done and doesn't turn the ball over. And then – the other side of it is Carr is, I would say, confident enough in who he is and where his standing is with this team that he's one of the few quarterbacks in the league that I think could handle that. The only downfall for any of this would be essentially pride. Is there too much worry about pride for, for Carr or pride for Gruden and saying, I'm going to get it done with these people on the field? But I just don't think that that's the fabric of this team. So they should be using him, I would argue, not just in red zone, but also in third and fourth and short. I mean, he forces you to cover different things and, and approach things a different way. So even if there's only 20 plays that Marcus is really used for all season, those 20 plays could be 20 differences between wins and loss. Talking to Jason Fitz from ESPN Radio here on the Press Box. Uh, sticking with quarterbacks, I want to go over to the college game for a minute. Uh, Pro Football Focus put out its top 10 quarterbacks in uh, college football. Not to surprise to see Spencer Rattler at number one, Sam Howell, Derek King, Dylan Gabriel, Michael Penix Jr. Uh, at number five, Matt Corral, Grayson McCall, DJ Uyunglele, Keaton Slovis, and Carson Strong uh, from up north in Nevada. Uh, do you agree that Spencer Rattler comes in as the number one quarterback in the country this year? And do you have any quibbles with anything that you heard on that list? Yeah, I, I don't know that I would put Spencer Rattler at the top of the list. I know that Spencer's a, a phenom, but I, I think there's two Two things there. One, uh, we're sleeping a little bit on Keaton, and I feel like that happens every year because, frankly, it's West Coast football, and that's real. For anyone that, that thinks it's not real, one thing I would say is, like, I sat in the room when the Big 12 or Pac-12 commissioner at the time was talking about the lack of highlight run that Pac-12 football gets because Pac-12 at night, by the time those highlights run, it's Sunday morning and the entire world has moved to the NFL. So, uh, that, that's real, and the Pac-12 is aware of it, and I think it hurts some of their players. So I, I think Keaton's a little low on that list. And also, I know that they lost a bunch of weapons, but Sam Howell is a, a, an incredibly dynamic passer. And last year had some turnover issues early, uh, but I also think that they were particularly, North Carolina last year was particularly aggressive in their play calling early, which I don't think really afforded any margin for error, especially given their practice limitations. So. I think North Carolina didn't put Sam Howell in the best situation last year. If you're telling me that I got to bank on one guy this year that I think is going to have huge numbers, to me, it's, it's, it's Sam. And, and I know that they're restocking their entire cupboard 
North Carolina, but I, I still think that they're capable of doing that. And uh, frankly, Howell's got enough proof of concept. I have no problem with that. Like the Rattler thing I get because he's such a phenom, but I, I'm not counting out Howell or Slovis in this one. All right, Jared has a question for you, uh, Jason, and just you know, be aware this could go any old direction. Okay. All right, Jason, as I explained before we brought you on the air and then lost you and then brought you back on the air, uh, you're, you know, you're working with some excellent fill-in hosts, but huh. obviously you have a like, history as a musician. What is the shortest notice you've ever been given where it's like, yeah, you're filling in? Uh, well, I mean, that, that happens. I mean, Nashville, that happens all the time. But I will say, when I got the band Perry call to, to join the band, uh, I, I got the call on a Thursday, and they said, can you be at the bus tomorrow? And I said, yes. And, and I was playing for somebody else at the time. I quit the gig I was on because I thought the band Perry was going to do really well. And they had just started. If I Die Young had just been released as a single. But the crazy part about it is, uh, the way Nashville works, I was uh, I met somebody at a Kroger at a grocery store parking lot, and they handed me a CD with 17 songs on it. Nobody gives you sheet music for anything. They handed me a CD with 17 songs on it, and they said, "Here's the set list for tomorrow," and they they left. So I had I had roughly I don't know 20 hours to try and learn 17 songs, but then I showed up to the bus, uh, you know, a, a couple hours I, later. And when I got there, I found out that they'd given me all the wrong arrangements of the song. So, oh. like, everything oh, was in the God. wrong key. Everything <laughs> was different. And it turned out that day that their normal guitar player, the only person in that entire on that entire tour that understood music terminology, like chords and everything like that, most of them were all played by ear guys, which isn't uncommon. But the only person that, that understood chords had broken <laughs> his collarbone in a bicycle accident that day. So there was also a sub-guitar player. So we were listening to it. We were talking to the drummer who was trying to explain, well, I think it's in this key, but I'm not sure it might be in that key, and trying to get recordings all the way up to when we walked out on stage to play that show. I was I was for sure. Like, I, I remember calling my wife and saying, hey, uh, I just quit a gig to, to try and join this band, and this show is going to go so horribly, we are going to live in a cardboard box. So it'll be the best decorated cardboard box you've ever seen, but we're definitely going to end up homeless out of this. So uh, that, that's the... Uh, that's the craziest fill-in story, but it ended up working out. I got the yeah. gig, and uh, and what do you know? Next thing you know, things were really good in that band. Well, there you go. <laughs> the always on key, Jason Fitz. Thank you much for joining us here with the, with what we'll call the fill-in show on the press box. Here and in doing beautiful. an admiral job. I think we talk more sports on the fill-in show than we do on the usual show. I give you guys just a plus in the world of Twinkies. You would be the bonus pack with the extra filling. You guys are spectacular. Yes. On that? <laughs> All right. Uh, yeah, I don't think <laughs> we're going to top that. we got to go to break. <laughs> yeah. We'll just replay this interview the rest of the day. Oh, and, oh, and Jared messes up because as a person who has run a board before, you should never hear a dial tone. We won't hear one again the rest of the show or Jared will be punished on the press box. It's time to find the sharp. Brought to you by PropSwap, where smart sports bettors buy and sell sports bets. Go to PropSwap.com today and find the very best odds. Sam is hot. He had Steven. women's basketball. Steven is even hotter. He had Sam's basketball. He had U.S. women's basketball yesterday. And we'll get it there. What's your pick, Steven? I'm going to go with uh, U.S. women's polo to get revenge on the pseudo-ROC. Okay. Water, water polo. He's big into the revenge games. What are the odds on that? U.S. 
women. I don't know what the odds are. On. I think they're like minus. Uh, oh no, there's not even a minus number because it's only like minus seven and a half. But the total over under is supposed to be like twenty one and a half. So they're expected to win fifteen to five, I guess. Okay. All right, we've got you down. U.S. Women's Water Polo. This is the big one. We will figure out whether or not tomorrow, whenever, well, when you win this. Tomorrow, we'll bring you on, and uh, we'll figure out if you want to take the deal. We'll offer you some options. But at Fallout Fails, man, if you win today, Antonio Brown jersey is yours. Thank you so much, Stephen. Thank you, guys. Have a good day. There you go. Whether it's Stephen or Sam, he's a winner in our books. I mean, <laughs> he literally is picking nothing but favorites. <laughs> well, why would you do anything else? Well, but it hasn't, it's never worked. It's never worked in uh, the time that we've done this. He's the first. Apparently, the Olympics is what we've been waiting on <laughs> for for the streak. Yes, All for right. the streak is apparently. I don't know. You apparently are just supposed to pick. All uh, eyes are now focused squarely on women's water polo. What time does that even in the play? River? Who knows? I I I'm, I can't figure out any of these times. I don't know if I'm watching live Olympics right now or something taped three days ago. That's. You know, these time zones, I can't figure out. Is it yesterday? Is it tomorrow? That I will say that is the one good thing about uh, not sleeping last night. I got to watch the U.S. women's uh, team live. And then it, that, game, that game against Australia got out of hand very, very quickly. And Was it, it live tomorrow or yesterday? Oh, God. Or three days ago. Yeah. See, well, it started it at out. like 940, so I don't really. Uh, I, nobody uh, knows. Yeah, I don't know. This is this is the this is the part where it's. Why don't we just host the Olympics every Ooh, year? Wow, wow! Because we go broke. Because as Adam so appropriately said yesterday, it is not financially usually. Financially oh, not, not particularly, not particularly viable. But I do right. like the ideas Jared comes up with when uh, when he doesn't sleep because those tend to be the most entertaining uh, of <laughs> all of them. I feel like we actually don't get enough of those brought into the show on uh, on days when Jared has no sleep. We need insomnia, Jared, all the time. You know, it's for the betterment of the radio. I mean, he won't last long, but that's what we need to make the press box really cook. It's for the people. Oh, now he's doing his little countdown. All right. Coming up next, we'll go over a little bit more NBA free agency on the Press Box with Adam and Doug and Jared.